He goes on and says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. He's saying, now you, each, each one of you are different members. Each have a different function. Each of us have different gifts. He says, now, if you're a member and you're functioning, then there's sooner or later going to be gifts begin to manifest themselves. And he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. The Living Bible, I think, said that place as often as you can receive a message from God, prophesy. If that's your, your, your gift. On ministry, now that word ministry, another word is serving. How I thank God that there are some in the body whose gift is service. By the way, everybody should be willing to serve and help in the church. But there are some who have a special gift for serving. And you find out they've got a servant spirit. He just had a gift for that very thing. He says, or ministry, let us wait on ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Let me tell you something. A guy with a gift of teaching, motivational gift of teaching, they can't help themselves. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. Now that word exhortation, by the way, is paraclete. Parakletos in the Greek. One who comes alongside and encourager. It speaks of the Holy Spirit being the paraclete, the one who's going to come alongside and help you along. An exhorter, one who's in the body as an exhorter, is one that usually if they see someone's having difficulty or problems, they'll quietly move up alongside them one-on-one -on -one and encourage them and exhort them and strengthen them and give them scripture verses and say if there's any way I can help. And they're, they're there always as, as a one who comes alongside. Now again, all of us should be exhorters. All of us should be helpful to one another, but there will be some that will have that special gift. It doesn't mean that they're just a one gifted person. That's all they can do is just pull alongside someone and help them. It means that's a special gift that God's given to them, but the other gifts should be functioning in their life too. He that exhorteth, on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. How many of you know that every one of us is supposed to return our tithes to the Lord and give above and beyond that? You know that, huh? But there are some that God gives a special gift within the body, a gift of giving. Now, I can tell you, first of all, how you can tell which ones they are. They're never the ones that wave the money in the air and give it or tell everybody how much they've given or how much they're going to give. Ever been in church services where people have stood up and said, well, if I get such and such come in, I'm going to give so many hundreds of dollars to the Lord's work. I just want you all to be praying that that will happen so I can give all that money to the Lord. That's not a person with a gift of giving. That's a person who thinks they've got a gift of giving. A person with a gift of giving will do it with simplicity, quietness. Look, don't say anything. Just, just put this in there and let it take care of it. You never know who they are. They're just there. And they're the ones that will usually say, I don't want anybody to know about this. But they're always there when there's a need. God has blessed them with the ability to make money and to give money. But they're a necessary part of the church. I know of pastors that have said, you know, we couldn't have had this or that or the other thing except we have a brother in our church and he doesn't want anyone to know who he is, but he'll just slip up to me afterwards and say, this is the need, here's the money for it, take care of it, don't worry about it, don't say anything to anybody. And, now that's the gift of giving, simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. Now that word ruleth there more or less means administration. Someone with a gift of administration. You know who that is? 
if any has to be done in the church, they're the ones that say, well, you, if you'll take care of this, and you'll take care of that, and you'll take care of that. We'll get this all organized now, and if you'll head this up, and I'll be get together with you later on, we'll figure out exactly how to do that. And all of a sudden, every, all the jobs are taken care of, and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Now, that's a person who's got a gift of administration. And to them, it's just as normal as falling off of a log. Other people, if you say, will you take care of this? You say, oh my goodness, now how am I going to do this? Uh, well, I guess I'll just have to go do it myself. Now, they don't have the gift of administration. They might have a willingness to work, but the gift of administration is somebody who sees the whole project, breaks it down in all little segments, and says, you take this, you take this, you take this, you take this, and here's how you do that, and here's how you do that, da, 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 da. and when they get all done, everybody knows exactly what they're supposed to do, and they stand back and say, isn't the Lord good? They don't get all uptight. Now, that's a gift. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, mercy or comfort, one who comes alongside, one who is loyal, one who will back you up to the hilt, one who is just always sensitive to the needs of other people. If you make a sharp remark, other people around you may giggle or laugh about it, but a person with mercy will, oh, they'll heal the hurt, just like it happened to them personally. And boy, we need that in the body. Let love be without dissimulation. What does that word dissimulation mean? Hypocrisy, that's right. Don't be hypocritical in your love. How many of you know it's one thing to tell somebody you love them, but it's another thing to show them? Now he's talking to everybody in the body. It's not enough to come to church and to go home and say, yeah, I belong to that church. If you're a part of the body, you're to love one another without hypocrisy. Don't say that you love them. Show them, show them you love them. Abhor. What's another word for abhor? Hate. Despise. That's right. Now that, those are strong verbs, aren't they? Hate. Abhor. Despise that which is evil. Again, I say it's not enough to be a gardener. It's not enough to love flowers. You've got to hate weeds. It's not enough to love the Lord. You've got to hate sin to be what God wants you to be. That means violently hate sin. That means you don't compromise when sin comes around. You know, if you really, if somebody said something, used a filthy name concerning your mother or your father, you'd probably get very irate, wouldn't you? What if they used the Lord's name in vain in front of you? I still remember one time hearing of a lady who had someone swear in front of them and they broke down and cried and said, what's the matter with you? And they said, you just... You just used the name of the most precious person I've ever known in my whole life as a swear word, and it violently injured me inside. Jesus Christ is the most precious person that I've ever known in my life. He saved me from my sins. He made me a new creature. He's given me eternal life, and it hurt me so badly to hear you use his name, take his name in vain. And the guy didn't know what to say. But I can guarantee you, if you'll do that once or twice, they won't come around and do it again to you. They won't say it in front of you. I've seen people change their vocabulary when they've gotten around me when I worked, used to work in places. Because if they'd start swearing, I would start talking to them about the Lord or telling them what the Lord had done in my life. And, and they'd say, well, you don't want to hear this joke. Joe, you better leave. You don't want to hear this joke. I said, well, why don't I stick around? When you start telling that, I'll quote a scripture verse to you. Hate that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Now, by the way, that word cleave, Cleave is the same word as join. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife is the same word where it says he that is joined to a harlot is one flesh. 
Cleave and join means to be cemented or glued to, attached permanently. What does it say there? Be attached permanently, cleave, be cemented, be glued to that which is good. If you hate that which is evil, it's easy to be glued to that which is good. It's when you try to walk down both paths that we get into trouble. That's why James says that double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and don't let that man think he'll get anything from the Lord. The Lord will not do anything for those that are double-minded, who love evil and say they love the Lord. He said, if you love me, hate sin. Be kindly affectioned one to another. That word is the same word that we use for family in the Greek. Have a family affection one toward another. Love one another like brothers and sisters. Now, how many of you know brothers and sisters never argue, never fight, never have any differences of opinions, do they? But how many of you also know that blood runs thicker than water? Even though you have differences of opinion, you're still to love each other. Desperately, he says, love one another here. With brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Now, I've known of pastors that have said, Lord, I want you to bring a revival to my church. And there have been times I've had to say, Lord, I don't care where the revival starts in any church. It starts in mine or at some other church. I don't care. We just need revival. And if you can bless this brother over here at the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church or the Nazarene church, Lord, we just need a revival. But you know something? Even when I do that, a lot of times I have to really say, come on now. That's what it's talking about. Preferring one another. In honor, preferring one another. It doesn't make any difference where the blessing comes from, Lord. Just bless us. I really wonder what would happen if four or five families suddenly were tremendously blessed if all the rest of the body could wholeheartedly rejoice with them or say, well, I don't understand why they got... I mean, after all, I know they haven't been as faithful as I've been at such and such. and I Create real problems. Paul says, no, have the renewing of your mind. You know, if you rejoice with others, that's what it goes on to say here down the line, to rejoice with others... Uh, weep with those that weep, laugh with those that rejoice with those that rejoice. If you can come to that place, then you're in a position where God can bless you. But as long as there's any jealousy, resentment, selfishness still in your heart, God can't bless you. In honor, preferring one another. Now, this next verse, I didn't write it. Not slothful. What's another word for slothful? Lazy? Anybody seen a sloth? How many of you have seen a sloth in a tree? Oh, they are a moving machine. They climb like this. And I'm moving faster than a sloth does. But a sloth moves very, very slow. Slothful means there's no room in the life of a Christian for laziness. God does not honor Laziness. He does not bless laziness. Any Christian that's working on a job, if they, if they are uh, tagged with the word being lazy, irresponsible, not dependable, that's an antithesis to everything that the Word of God says. I recently had a woman that was talking to me about a lady that worked in their office who was always testifying to everybody. She says, but you know the problem is she never got her work done. The problem is she was never at her desk. She was always over talking to someone about the Lord during the office time. The real problem is we couldn't depend on her because if, if some meeting came up, all of a sudden she would call in sick. But bless God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, she was a Christian. 
and said, we just really, when she finally left, we were glad she left. And she probably went away from there thinking, boy, I talked to everybody about Jesus while I was there. But she left with a bad testimony. I always say, if you want to talk to somebody about the Lord, don't do it on company time. If you do, make it up afterwards. Be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. And that word fervent means a glow like a, a, like a piece of charcoal that's red or pink, whatever color it is, when it's really glowing. Alive in spirit. How many of you have seen a whole bunch of Christians that fit this description? Fervent in spirit. I mean, every time you see them, they're just up on top. You know, I tell you, there's some people, I, whenever I hear they're coming, I start looking like this to say, where are they now? Where are they today? Let's see, are they up there? Down? Oh, they're right in the middle. Wow, good. Because if they're up there, I think, oh, glory to God, I'm going to get slobbered all over. And if they're clear down there, I'm going to have to go along and just try to see if they're still alive. And if they're right in here, why I can get along with them today. You know, the Word of God says that we're to be a glow in the Spirit. Why? Because we know greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We have already won. We're already more than conquerors of Him that loved us. The only thing we have to do is just step through the next door. We're, we're there. Fervent in spirit. A glow in our spirit. Serving the Lord. It means a glow in our spirit. Enthusiastically serving the Lord. Sunday school teachers, do the children see that enthusiasm for serving the Lord? When you play an instrument in the church, does the, do the people, can the people tell that you're doing this as directly as under the Lord? When you usher, you say, well, anybody can pick up a tray and carry it back. When you give announcements, anybody can do that. When you pray up on the platform, anybody can. No, no. And sing in the choir, if you just take it with the attitude, anybody can do this, rather than I will do it as unto the Lord. Lord, I'll do it in a way that will please you. What's the best way that I can possibly do it for you? Makes all the difference in the world. Rejoicing in hope. You see, if we're fervent in the Spirit, that means we are rejoicing in what? In the, that which is to come in the days ahead. Not just after this life, but what the Lord has planned for us every single day of our life. It's getting up in the morning and saying, today is the first day of the rest of my life, and Jesus Christ is in charge. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoicing in hope. Even in hopeless circumstances, we rejoice in hope because He has promised to make a way of escape for us so we can bear it. And we always look for that way of escape. Lord, you just show it to me. In the meantime, I'm going to thank you and rejoice in you. Patient in tribulation. Why? Because we have that hope. I know I'm going through a time of tribulation. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And the Lord's going to overcome this in my life. Continuing instant in prayer. How many of you know it's easier to pray when you're in tribulation? Rejoicing in the Lord, instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints. Now Paul says this is part of the function of the body. When there's other saints that have needs, you've got to call the deacons and the officers of the church to go and take care of it. He's talking about every, all the members of the body being concerned for the other members of the body, distributing to the necessity of the saints. If you know their people have needs and you can meet that need, you don't have to go and get the pastor's permission or anyone else's permission. If you have a talent and a gift and you see a minister, a person in the body that has a need in that area, minister to them. As unto the Lord, not to where they that you receive their thanks. In fact, if they don't even thank you for it, thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity to distribute it to the needs of the saints. Why? Because the Lord told us that's what we're to do. Not for men's acclaim, 
Jesus said concerning the Pharisees, when they prayed, they raised their hands in the public places and said, Dear God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, or even as this publican. Jesus said he's already got his reward. He wanted the acclaim of men. He got it. But when you and I do something, we do it as unto the Lord, and whether anyone else thanks us for it or not doesn't make any difference. The Lord knows what we've done, and He'll reward us. He said for every word or deed that we perform in His name, He'll reward us for it. That's where you better work on that measure of faith. You've got to believe that even when it doesn't seem like it. You see, so many times we're used to that weekly paycheck that we expect as soon as that job's over, we're supposed to get paid. Or it doesn't work that way. Some rewards you'll give at the end of the year. Some you come sometimes at the end of a life. You may never see it here, but you'll see it in eternity because he said we send our rewards on ahead. If we give a glass of cold water in the name of a disciple, we receive a disciple's reward, he said. He didn't mean that right then he gives us a paycheck, but he, it's, it's already down. We're going to be rewarded for everything we do in the name of the Lord, as unto the Lord, with, our right, with the right attitude. Given to hospitality. How many of you know that means inviting other people in? Heard today a psychologist talking about the fact that he had to deal with one woman. She said she didn't have any friends. And he said, why don't you invite some people over? Oh, she said, I couldn't do that. Said, why not? She said, not until I get my house completely cleaned up. He said, well, will you describe what you mean? And she, when she got done, she meant her house had to be perfect. She couldn't invite anyone in until her house was absolutely perfect. Well, he could see why she was having trouble having friends because she wasn't showing herself to be friendly. And he said, I want you to do something. I want you to invite a family over this weekend, and I don't want you to make your bed, and I just want you to close your bedroom door. I couldn't do that. He says, you can't or you won't. And after he talked for a while, she finally said, well, okay. But she said she was nervous the whole night that her bed in her bedroom was unmade for fear somebody might open that door and look in there. Well, he said, well, how many people that you have your, come to your house ever say, well, I won't come until your bed is made? Hospitality is a warmth of your spirit. And I want to tell you something. I have been in some of the least expensive homes I guess a person can be in. And I've been in the most expensive homes. And many times I've felt more welcome and more at home in the least expensive homes where they didn't have much. In fact, we sat on boxes and just had tremendous fellowship in the things of the Lord because they were hospitable. We're just so glad to have you. Now, we don't have much. We've got some Kool-Aid here. Can you? Is that okay? And I've been in homes where they've had the finest of meals, but I've felt just as welcome where there was a hospitable spirit. Bless them that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Now he's still talking about within the church. You say, Brother Webb, you mean somebody in the church is going to persecute me? I haven't had, if it hasn't happened yet, let me just tell you something. It will. There's always going to be, sooner or later, someone that's going to rub you the wrong way in the church. And how do we respond? Bless them. And curse not. Now again, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. In other words, work. Be able to work with one another. I know that somebody else might do it differently from you, but be flexible. Be pliable. Work with them and know that your goals should be the same even if you're, the, the way you get to that goal may be different. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things. Underscore those four words. They're very important because what they mean is don't try to act big. Ever been around people that are name droppers and try to impress you with the people they know and the places they've been and come in their house and they've got all these little things showing that they've been around the world two or three times? I don't know what that does to you, but that turns me off. 
They're trying to act big. Hey, they get up in the morning, put their pants on the same way you and I do. And if they drive a Rolls Royce or a Volkswagen, they're no bigger in God's sight because they'll leave both of them behind. But condescend to men of low estate. Be able to minister to other people around you that may not have everything you have. Let them know that you understand that before God, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Be not wise in your own conceits. That means don't know it all. And if you ever run into people that no matter what you tell them, before you're halfway through telling them, they can already tell you that they're an expert in that field. Oh, that's so wearing when they do that. You talk about something you know they don't know the first thing about, but you're halfway through. They, oh, yes, well, I, and they start off. And when they get through, they know you know they don't know anything about it, but they're going to convince you they're an expert in that field. God's Word says don't be a know-it-all. Be able to learn from others. You may even know something that somebody's going to tell you, but let them tell you and thank them for telling you. I can't tell you how many times in the ministry I've learned you don't tell everybody everything you know. Let them really feel like they are contributing to you from time to time. Because there's times when you needed to have someone feel like you were contributing to them. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Now, that word give place means give it room to get around. When you could get mad, give it room so you can walk around that getting mad and not get mad. Yeah, I have good cause to get mad right now, but I refuse to do it. One fellow said, yeah, I've had a lot of reasons to blow my top lately, but I just chose not to take them. That's what he's talking about here. Give room to wrath. Move around it. Sure, it'd be easy to get mad right now. I mean, after what they just said or did to me, sure. But Lord, I just give that to you and I'm going to love them, regardless of what they do or say. And you can't do that without the renewing of your mind. And that's where it's going to come, right here. It's going to right here say... Oh, they can't do that to me. And next, your fists are going to start tightening up and your body's going to start getting rigid and then your teeth are going to grit and then you're going to, next thing is going to be words come out of your mouth because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaketh. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you think it, out comes the words and the anger and everything. And when your mind stops in short circuits and say, I choose not, I'll give room to that wrath and walk around. I don't need to get it. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And when you and I learn that, let God fight your battles. Let me tell you, it sure makes it a lot easier. Good things for God's people. We're talking about upholding biblical standards when relating to other people. Well, we've been in the book of Romans, and tonight we'll go on to Romans, the 14th chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. Romans, Paul's talking about interpersonal relationships, especially between Christians. So the 12th verse of the 14th chapter of Romans says, So then, now it's interesting how he introduces this subject. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to whom? Not to your husband, not to your parents, not to your children, not to your pastor. Every single one of us someday will give an account of ourselves to God. Now I don't know about anyone else, but this ought to jerk the slack out of our conversation ought to jerk the slack out of our conduct where we realize there nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Whatever we do in the dark, God sees just as well as what we do in the light. 
Even if we go down in the deepest basement, no matter where we go, God sees us and everything we do, say, and think is recorded. If I could just burn that truth into the heart and life of every young Christian, I think it will revolutionize their lives. Everything, every single one of us are going to give an account of ourselves one of these days to God. Now I want to say again, any sin that you and I have ever committed that we've repented of and put under the blood, it's gone forever. But any disobedience, any acts of sins of omission and commission that we do not confess to the Lord, that we do not deal with, someday we'll answer to God for it. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, by the way, I had someone say the other day, I can't judge anyone, I can't judge anyone, but, and I said, wait a minute, are you judging them or is the Word judging them? If the Word says, thou shalt not bear false witness, and you know somebody's been lying, you're not judging them. The Word is. The Word says they're not to do it, and that they're doing it, that they are a liar. And I think we have to be very, very careful. You know, we come to the place, that's one of the teachings that some of our brethren teach today that say that, look, let's not argue about anybody's doctrine, whether it's right or wrong or different from ours or anything else. Let's just all fellowship and love one another. Now, there is a degree to which that is true. But if someone is teaching false doctrine... We have no permission whatsoever to fellowship with them, but to try to correct them based upon the Word of God. Exhort, rebuke with all long-suffering and doctrine. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Now, if you'd read the Living Bible on that, it says, letting him see you do something that he thinks is wrong. Now, that's an interesting concept. It isn't, is it okay for me? I'm not, I don't feel any guilt over this. I don't feel any conviction against this. But Paul says we've got to be careful not to create a stumbling block to others. Now, there are some people who say, well, if they stumble over me, that's their tough luck. They shouldn't be looking at me. They should be looking at the Lord. But Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that you and I have a responsibility not to become a stumbling block to someone else. Now, there's other portions of Scripture where he talks about this also. I know, Paul says, and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus persuaded him of this, that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If you have been convicted concerning something, others may, you may not. Now, there'll be people come to you and say, why don't you do that? What's the matter? Well, I have a conviction against Well, well that's silly. That's ridiculous. You begin to think, well... Maybe it was rather silly. Maybe I should, you know. No, God's Word says here that that's not silly. If something is unclean, if the Spirit of God has convicted you of something you shouldn't do, then you must not do it. Now, I'm not talking about if somebody else has laid guilt on you, but I'm talking about through the studying of the Word, if the Spirit of God shows you something that is sin to you. Now, let me caution you there again. Many times a young Christian will read something and not read the total teaching of God's Word and get something and go off in the wrong direction. When, when someone comes to counsel them, if they just say, well, that's silly, then you don't have to respond to them. But if they say, well, now look, the Word also says this, the Word also says this, the Word also says this. Uh, a good example of that is when some of these people that are teaching you that you should pray, if you, in fact, you are duty-bound and sinning if you don't pray for the city of Jerusalem every single day. 
Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You're sinning. Well, if you take them over and show them where the scriptures also said that when the children were in, in captivity, that they were to pray for their leaders in captivity, their enemies that were over them, and that the New Testament says that we as believers are to pray for those that are in authority over us, you realize that he wasn't saying that every person on earth has to pray for Jerusalem. They were in, in Israel when they told him to pray for that. Pray for the capital. Pray for the leadership so that you can live peaceable lives. And it wasn't where, that's not a commandment for everybody to do that. But there are some people that had that conviction. Well, boy, if I don't do it, God's going to judge me. So I'm talking about you can bring balance in. But if you have a conviction that God's given to you from the Word, unless it can be corrected by the Word, don't let someone else sway you. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. What's he saying here? By meat, you don't offend them. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. He's saying don't let get bound up on eating and drinking, but get bound up on righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Okay, and he says that the kingdom of God is not just me eating and meat and drinking and so forth, but righteousness and peace in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. It's interesting that when you and I really do what God wants you to do, you'll find the approval of more men also. It's the people who are double-minded, it's the people who do not walk what they talk, that find that even the world begins to hate them and wants to trample them under their feet. The world is still looking for genuine Christians. I'm talking about people who really operate by biblical principles. And when they see them, you'll find that many times they'll respect you more than it'll amaze you. They may say things against you. They may kid you and joke with you at times. But they're still watching to see this guy's got something or this gal's got something that's genuine. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace or harmony, is another word for that, and things wherewith one may edify others. Now this next verse, verse 20, is a powerful verse. Don't for meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Now again, the Living Bible, I like to read, pull little excerpts out of that because they're so clear. It says, don't undo the work of God for a chunk of meat. Now again, if you've read other portions, I believe it's in Corinthians where Paul talks about the meat. It was a unique situation there because today if we want meat, we go to the meat market or we go, you, you even heard some of these scam places where they'll sell, they'll sell you half of a beef. The only trouble is you have to have a grinder to chew it up because it's so, so tough. Or you can go to meat market and get choice and in some places prime meat. Well, you know that commercial grade beef is a lot cheaper than prime meat is. Well, back in that day, they had prime meat, choice and prime meat at the idol temples. They offered these animals to demons. And when they got through offering them to demons, they offering the blood to the demons, they'd have these animals for sale. And if you'd go down to the market and buy commercial beef that you could hardly chew, it might cost, just using as an example, it might cost a dollar and a half a pound. But you could go buy these temples, and they're trying to get rid of this meat before it spoils, and they'll sell it to you for a quarter a pound. A lot of Christians said, hey, I can save a dollar and a quarter a pound and give the rest to missions, you know, so I'm going to go buy and buy that meat. That's good meat. 
He says, now there are others that came out of that temple worship and they see you buying that meat and they know that was offered to demons. Paul says, I know there's nothing wrong with that meat, but by you buying it and you rationalizing in your mind that you're saving money by doing it and you're getting a better grade of meat, you may be causing one of these others to stumble. If they go back there because of what they were involved in before, they might be drawn back into that kind of worship and they'd stumble and fall. And if you do that, you are sinning against your brother. And so he says, for a chunk of meat, don't destroy a brother. Now, we can make a lot of applications there today, too, in our daily lives. There are things that you and I may think, well, logically and reasonably, this just sounds like the thing to do. But we also have to be very sensitive for Christ's sake. To make sure the things that we do are right, not only in our sight, not only in God's sight, but it does not cause a weaker brother to stumble. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense, when you know it can hurt someone else. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or made weak. Now, you see, Jesus says when you come to him, whosoever doth not forsake himself, or deny himself, cannot be my disciple. Whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. In other words, what he's saying is, once I become a Christian, it is no longer what do I want to do. My whole purpose in life now as a born-again Christian is, what would Christ have me to do in this situation? Lord, it's no longer I that's living, but Christ is living. How is that? I died on the cross with him. I have risen to walk in newness of life in him, and it's now it's Christ living in me, and he wants to manifest himself out through me, and so every day my purpose in life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not to be satisfying myself anymore. Sometimes we tend to think, well, boy, if I've got it, I can flaunt it. Not necessarily. This is a powerful principle for Christians to have to operate by. Verse 22, Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he allows. Wow. Let me read that one to you from Living Bible. You may know that there's nothing wrong with what you plan, even from God's point of view, but keep it to yourself. Don't flaunt your faith in front of others who might be hurt by it. In this situation, happy is the man who does not sin by doing what he knows is right. Right as far as I'm concerned, I know it's not a sin as far as God is concerned. Paul says here, you can sin even when you're doing that which is right, if in doing it, another brother is hurt. That's powerful. This is a biblical principle. It's not Pastor Webb's principle. I mean, it's just as clear as can be here. He's saying that you and I are no longer to live unto ourselves, but unto the Lord and for our brethren. We're to love our brothers as ourselves. We should not do anything that will hurt a brother any more than we would want someone else to do something that would injure us. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, another portion Paul talks about one with a strong conscience and one with a weak conscience. And he says, those of you that have a strong conscience, just because you have a strong conscience, don't belittle those that are weak. Well, they're just, they've got to grow up. I mean, they're just 
weak Christians. If they stumble on me, that's their problem. He said, that attitude is not Christ-like. Contrary-wise, he said, those of you that have a weak conscience and feel very convicted about things that other people don't, don't you criticize those that have a stronger conscience? That's difficult, isn't it? I don't see how they can do that as a Christian. I sure can't. The Word of God says that we're all the Lord's servants. And we have to answer to the Lord. And there may be some things that... Now, now again, let me just stop and say I'm not talking about where a man can say, I have a strong conscience so I can do whatever I want to. Even with a strong conscience, he even has a greater requirement to make sure that he doesn't use that or force that on someone else and say, that's because i got a strong conscience. He's even more responsible for being considered of those who even have a weak conscience. What are you saying, Pastor Weber? Are we in bondage? No. Yeah, we are. We're in bondage to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. What difference does it make whether we eat a certain kind of meat or drink a certain kind of drink or whatever in eternity? The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For we walk uprightly before the Lord with peace in our heart and have the joy of the Lord as our strength. And he says that's not going to happen unless you and I really learn to love one another as ourselves. Do unto others before they get a chance to do it unto you. No, no, that's the new translation. Do unto others what? Exactly as you would have them to do unto you. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Verse 1 of chapter 15. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Jesus took on himself all the reproaches of the Father. Let me read to you that from the Living Bible, verse 1. It sounds like a totally different verse. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Even if we believe that it makes no difference to the Lord that we do these things, still we cannot go ahead and do them to please ourselves, for we must bear the burden of being considered of the doubts and fears of others, of those who feel these things are wrong. Let's please the other fellows, not ourselves. If it is for his good and builds him up in the Lord. If it's for our good and builds him up in the Lord. So we must be concerned not just what we do, not just how it influences him, but will it strengthen him in the Lord when he sees what I'm doing? Can we think of things in our daily life that could create problems if other people saw us? Now let me just tell you very, very quickly, there's not a person in this room who doesn't fail and sin and miss the mark. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. I've never forgotten the story of a man who was talking about a farmer, and he, this Christian man said, oh, did you know that Farmer Hanson over there got saved last month? And this guy started laughing, don't tell me he's a Christian. He said, well, yeah, he accepted the Lord about a month ago or two months ago, I guess it is now, and he says he, he's really been growing in the Lord, and he's really excited giving testimony and everything at church. He said, oh, get off of it. He said, let me tell you something. He said, last Friday night, I came, I came over the hill where he was working with his wagon, and when I came by, he was kicking that wagon as hard as he could, and I heard him cussing at it. 
just as red in the face as he could possibly be. He said, is that right? Is that what you saw? He said, yeah. He said, can I share with you what I saw Sunday? He said, what? He said, I saw him down at the altar, and he stood up and said, you know, he said, I got angry the other night when I was working on my wagon because I couldn't get that thing, that wheel on the way I was supposed to get it on, and I started cussing, and he said, as soon as I did, God convicted me. He says, and I went around behind the wagon and got down and cried and asked the Lord for forgiveness, and I'm asking him to take that anger out of my life. Would you pray with me that the Lord help me get rid of that old temper? And you see, that man, all he had seen was the anger, but he didn't see the response afterwards to show that God was doing a work of sanctification in his life. There's a lot of times we see people when during that weak moment, but they don't see what God does in their hearts afterwards. And this is why we should not judge them, but we should be considered of their weaknesses and considered of their needs. This is why the scripture says we are one body, separate members of the body, but so important to one another. Some of us have certain gifts, others have certain gifts, and we can put those gifts together and flow together as a body of believers. But it'll never happen until we love each other so much that we won't do anything to cause a weaker brother to stumble. Verse 3, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Jesus said, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. He gave up all the glories of heaven, came down, and I want to tell you something, he could have very easily called 10,000 angels to set him free. He could have gotten down off that cross. But I like what the songwriter said. He said he stayed there for you and me. He had all the authority to do that. When the soldiers buffeted him with their fists, and they beat him over the head when he had that crown of thorns on, when they jerked the beard out of his face, how many of you know he could have just instantly called the angels down or just spoken to them and they would have died there on the spot? But he didn't do it because he'd come to accomplish the message of God here on this earth. Now he says, Whosoever of you that are not willing to take up your cross daily and follow me, you can't be my disciple. What does that mean? That means that you and I have to be willing to die to what we want and what we think is right, what we think we deserve every single day and say, that doesn't make any difference. Lord, what would you have me to do? The Lord Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this bitter cup be taken away from me. It's, it's a bitter cup and I don't look forward to it. And then he stopped and said, but that really doesn't make any difference, Lord. Not my will but thine be done. Now that same spirit that Jesus came with, not living for himself, but living to accomplish the will and purpose of God, is the purpose for which we have been called. Jesus said, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. You're to go out and be little Christ in this world, where people will see you and your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you can honestly say, it's no longer me that's living. I only live for one purpose, and that's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ to exalt him. And when I fail, down I go and say, Father, forgive me in the name of Jesus. And if I've offended somebody when I've done it, I go to them and say, will you please forgive me and pray for me? I really want to be what God wants me to be. I'll tell you, that'll crucify the flesh. You do have to do that a few times. That'll jerk the slack out of your conversation very quickly when you know you've got to answer to God for it and answer to someone else after you've done it. Can you see this principle? I mean, it's very clear here. I don't know what you and I may be doing today that the Spirit of God would say, hey, nothing wrong with it as far as I'm concerned, as far as you're concerned, but how's it affecting your neighbor? You say, well, that's their problem. That's not what the Word of God says. It's our problem. Love them 
as ourselves. It's good for God's people to uphold biblical standards when relating to others. That's what we've been talking about for some time now. And one of the chapters is, that doesn't exactly do that, speak of that same subject, but it does indirectly, inasmuch as it lays down standards, biblical standards, for the Christian in his relationship with everyone around him. And that's in Psalm 15. Not a very long psalm, but it has a lot. In fact, if I were to get started on it, want to, I could pull a first Peter on it, but I'm not going to do that. We'll try to get through it tonight, but it's a chapter that we need to analyze from time to time. David is asking the question here in Psalm 15, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honors them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never, never, never be moved. David, of course, was talking about the tabernacle of the Lord. He was accustomed to the tabernacle. The temple had not yet been built until after his son came along. But the tabernacle was the abiding place of the Lord. It was a place that was movable. It was, I want to say, portable. Until the, when the temple was built, it, stayed, it was in Jerusalem. It was permanent. But it, he was acquainted with the temple or the tabernacle that moved from place to place. We are the temple. We are the temple of God now, but we're more like a tabernacle because we're portable. We move around everywhere we go. But David here is talking about who's going to dwell with you in heaven? Who are the ones that are going to dwell with you in heaven? And that's the emphasis he's bringing out. Who shall abide in thy tabernacle? And he means by abide, who's going to dwell there eternally in that time? Who's going to stay there? Who's going to live there? He that walketh uprightly. Now, when he talks about walking, and it's interesting, he talks about a walking, working, and the word in this verse. He that walketh uprightly, he's talking about your outward character. There are a lot of people today that do not understand that God's word, even in the New Testament especially, talks about, he that says he loves me and keeps not my commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He says that we are to, our words are to be just whatever we say our words should be our bond. We shouldn't have to swear to anything. We just simply say that's the way it'll be and that's the way it should be. And he's saying that the believer, the one that's going to dwell in heaven here on earth, is someone who walks uprightly. And you're going to find in a lot of churches, a lot of fellowships, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians who do not understand this principle of walking uprightly. There are people that go to church Sunday after Sunday, some of them that are even in positions of authority, but during the week they do not walk uprightly before the Lord. And I want to tell you something, it doesn't make any difference what church roster our name is on or where we may hang our membership. If we're not walking uprightly, we're not fooling anyone but ourselves eternally. There may be others that look at us and say, boy, that, that guy must really be something until they do see through us. Do you know Christian people right now that call themselves Christians? If you know, boy, I just am almost ashamed to have someone call him a Christian because I know what he's like or what she's like. There have been people I've seen like that before where if they're Christians, I'd like to get inoculated. Their walkie-walkie does not agree with their talkie-talkie. 
And he said that, first of all, one of the first requirements that we're going to heaven is that we must walk uprightly. And you know, we can't do that in ourselves. We have to, every day, put off the old man and put on the new man. The very thing we've been talking about all along here. It's where we crucify ourselves. We take up our cross daily. Lord, I die to what I want to do. I die to my goals and my purposes. And ask that you would lead me and direct me and make me know your goal and your purpose in my life. And that way, whatever we do, in word or deed, we do all to the glory of God. We do not allow our members to be used for things of unrighteousness, but rather to be used for those things which are righteous. Because our members are part of the body of Jesus Christ. And as members of the body of Christ, we're not to be doing those things which the world does. In fact, we're not only not to do them, Scripture says they shouldn't even be mentioned among us. And the amazing thing to me now is that the world says there's not any difference as far as the moral principles of those in the church and those outside the church, generally speaking, anymore today. And of course, that's the fulfillment of Scripture because Jesus said in the last days that the salt would lose its favor. If it does, it's only going to be trampled under the feet of men. How many of you know, as you listen to different TV programs today, that the church, I mean, people that are in the church are now being trampled underfoot because their testimony has been destroyed and they're trampling it underfoot and it's just giving greater and greater cause for the world to be able to trample on other parts of the church. That's why now new laws are being established that's trying to take more and more privileges away from the church because there are those whose salt had lost its savor and the world is beginning to trample on them. But he says, walk upright and worketh righteousness. Like I said, first of all, I talk about your walk. And if your walk is right, generally speaking, your works will be right. And working righteously it means that whatever you do, it's honest all the way through. It means that its goals and purposes are good. If you and I have plans and purposes in the days ahead, we have to analyze them and say, is if this happens the way I want it to happen, will it glorify the Lord? How will this honor the Lord? Will people, when looking at it, will they say that's glorifying me, or will they say it's glorifying the Lord? Working righteousness. Peter tells us that we should work righteousness in such a way that no matter what people say about us, that they'll finally become ashamed because there'll be no evidence showing that our works are not righteous. And speaketh the truth in his heart. That's your word. The walk, the work, and now the word. You see, if your walk is right, and you're doing righteously every day, your words will come out all right. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It doesn't take you very long to find out what's in a man's heart if you can just get him to talk it. Because he'll begin to talk about those things that are important to him and talk about different subjects, and it won't be long before you'll begin to see whether it's sweet fruit or it's bitter fruit coming out of it. And by the way, it's not the fruit that makes the tree, it's the tree that makes the fruit. If you're not having good fruit in your life, you need to check and find out what's wrong with the tree. I'm talking about your walk and your work and your words. For those who say that you don't really have to change when you become a Christian, it flies in the face of this chapter right here. That's why Paul said if, if you're looking for a Christian, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things about them are brand new. This is the evidence that we really have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How people can say that they have the Holy Spirit in them but are not desirous of walking holy lives is beyond them. 
I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about that earnest desire to please the Lord in all we do, in all we say, day after day. And he's talking about not hypocritically in his heart. You see, there are a lot of people that will say things out here in order to influence other people around them. But he's saying that we're not hypocritical in our heart. We're transparent. Proverbs talks about this time and time again. There are people that will say certain things, but in their heart they hate you, or in their heart they're trying to take advantage of you. For example, he says, when you go to a wealthy man's home, be careful, put a knife to your throat so that you don't eat too much, because he says the reason he's got you there, he's going to try to bribe you with something. His, in other words, his intentions are not transparent. His, his intentions are not upright. But the righteous person speaketh the truth in his heart. And by the way, the truth in his heart does not mean that he's always merciful. There are times when the truth hurts, but the truth is essential. And there are some people who say, well, you know, you must not care much about me if you bring that up. No, it's the reason, the reason we bring it up is because we do care about you. When some people come around and try to correct people, they get very angry. But it says, speaking truth from your heart. And when I come to people and say, now I love you, but let me share this with you because this, this is really helpful to you. Some people can receive it and some can't. But if we really do love one another, correction of a friend is much better than the flattery of an enemy. When a friend comes to you and says, listen, I need to talk to you about this. This needs to change in your life. We should be willing to really listen because they're trying to be true, speak truth from their heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. There's so much to be said about this subject. And there are many, many churches that are just literally torn apart by backbiting. And the Bible has much to say about gossip and backbiting. And all of them say that God hates it. And it says that God will judge people who backbite and gossip. There's one phrase in the scripture about gazmu the gossip. And I've always wanted to preach a message on that, but I've never gotten to it. Gazmu the gossip was it was with a, a negative reference to him. I've always said that it's not just those who speak it, but it's those who hear it who are just as guilty. We need to put a sign across a backbiter and a gossip's mouth that says garbage shoot and on the ear of the listener as garbage receptacle. And if you feel as though you're someone that people like to come like to come and tell you these things, believe me, you've got a bad reputation. If you and I like to receive, and listen, a gossip knows exactly who to go to. They find out where the garbage receptacles are. And they come, have you heard? On the phone, somebody says instead of running to the phone, the throne, they run to the phone. And they'll call one person. Now, don't you tell anyone this now. This is just between you and me. Let's just really pray about this situation, you know. And, and they hang up. They call someone. And don't you tell anyone. And after a while, you find out what they really mean is, I want to tell everybody first. So don't you tell anyone until I get to them. And it can be devastating. But the Bible says that God hates backbiters and gossip. And Paul said that there are gossips in the church. They should stay home and keep their mouths shut and do their own work because it caused trouble within the church. True Christians realize that we're to speak well of other Christians and if, they, if people do fail, rather than criticize them while they're down, we need to pray for them and find ways to encourage them and strengthen them and restore them.
It's a sure evidence that you're not spiritual if you backbite and criticize people when they're down. Because the Bible says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Not criticize, but restore such a one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself also, lest thou be tempted. The only difference between them and you is the grace of God. And we have to stop and think, what would happen if I were tempted with that? And a lot of times we tend to think, well, man, that wouldn't bug me a bit. But there might be another area where it would bug you. And the Bible says, with the same measure that you measure other people, God will measure you. If you won't forgive, he won't forgive. So he says, he that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh a coach against his neighbor. Nor doeth evil, evil to his neighbor, trying to devise something to hurt your neighbor. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned. A lot of people that say that preachers are harsh when they speak against some of the things that come out of Hollywood. You know, the Word of God says that we are not to hate the person, but we're to hate the things that, the wrong things that people do. And I have found very, very little to praise that comes out of Hollywood. And I do speak strongly sometimes when I see these people standing up and promoting immorality, unrighteousness. And what really disturbs me is when I see these Hollywood people whose very uh, lifestyle is horrendous and parents allowing them to put their pictures and posters all over their room and they have their records, they're playing their records and so forth. The Word of God says that if we see people whose lifestyle is not right, that we should never allow that to come into our home in any way. We're to speak out against that lifestyle. Then it goes on and says that he honors them that fear the Lord. I would encourage families to have biographies and autobiographies of great Christian leaders in your home and encourage your children continuously to be reading that type of material. Open your home to missionaries, to pastors, to evangelists, godly workers. Have them in your home, around your dinner table. Talk about the things of the Lord. Let them challenge your children to see that there's something beyond just what the world out here is offering to them. You see, you have to stand against this and then you have to stand for something. David said he would not have unrighteous men in his home, but he brought in those that feared the Lord and served the Lord. He had those in, them in his home all the time. And that's a key for Christians. If we're really believers, then we ought to sanctify our home and have people come into our home who are a constant encouragement and blessing to our children. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. What do you think that means? Sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. The Living Bible says, keep the promise even if it ruins you. I can't tell you how many times in the years I've been a pastor, I've had people say, well, yeah, I know I said that, but I had no idea that this was going to happen or that was going to happen, and there's just no way I'm going to lose money on this, on this situation. I said, well, I just, in my heart, say, well, then you're, you're a liar. You are not trustworthy. If you and I say, yes, I will do this, or no, I won't do that, and we find out suddenly afterwards circumstances change, if we've committed ourselves, we're going to have to do it anyway. But there are many people today that say, I would rather do business with anyone than a Christian. I've had businessmen say, I'd rather hire anyone except a Christian. 
And brothers and sisters, this ought not to be. We ought to be head and shoulders above and beyond anyone else around us because we're not working for the company, we're working for the Lord. Whatsoever your hand finds to do it, do it mightily as under the Lord, with all your might as under the Lord. It doesn't make a difference whether the boss is pleased. If the Lord is pleased, the boss will be pleased. And we're to make them succeed, and we're to be able to, when we walk away, for them to be able to say that, that person's mouth speaks truth. They followed up with their action. Once you say it, don't say it unless you really mean it. And once you mean it, whatever it costs you, if it even ruins you, how many of you know that if it even ruins you, God's going to honor you because you have tried to be honorable? He that putteth not out his money to usury. It's interesting, that Hebrew word is, the root of that word is to bite. You aren't out there biting people with interest. Nor take the reward against the innocent. He that putteth not out his money to usury. That does not mean that a Christian can never earn interest on your money. But usury in this sense means that you are out there overcharging people. How many of you know that there are blood-sucking leeches that read the newspaper every day when they see someone that says, urgent, must sell my home, urgent, must get a loan, must get financed. They'll come up there and they'll lay on them. They'll yell, I'll loan you the money. And, well, not too many years ago, we had a family here that we know in this church that were in desperate straits. And somebody came along and loaned them some money at an exorbitant fee and said, "You, I think it was 120 days or 150 days or something like that. If you don't have your your house completely finished and completely refinanced at that time, we'll come in and take the whole house. And that was gangsterism. But they needed the money and so they were able to do that. Now that's what he's talking about here. Where you take someone when they're in a tight spot and you tighten down on them, put them in a worse spot. You know, I've found out more and more down through the years I would rather give somebody something anytime than loan it to them. The best way to lose a friend is to loan them money. but I'd rather give it to them. I had someone very close to me that years ago borrowed $1,000. And I had it at that time. Sure, you're welcome to it, yeah. Pay me back as soon as you can. Never heard from them, never heard from them, never heard from them. Moved to Florida. Well, I could really use that $1,000, I can guarantee you. And never paid me back. And I sat there and I kept looking as I kept the check in my drawer, and I'd take it out and look at it. I said, Lord, speak to them. Help them pay this back. And one day, God just spoke to my heart and says, call them and tell them you forgive them. Lord, I need that thousand dollars. Just call them and tell you forgive them. So it's going to cost me money to call them too. And I called them. I said, I just want to tell you I love you. And I was just in prayer. And the Lord told me to call you and tell you that I, that I was to forgive you for that thousand dollars. Don't ever worry about it. I've just given it as, as under the Lord. It's yours. And there was silence on the other end, and they didn't know what to say. And they told me a couple of years later, the wife did, that I was really embarrassed because I, I kept telling my husband he should do something with you on it, at least talk to you about it. I said, no, you really don't have to worry about it a bit because I've forgotten it. I've committed it to the Lord completely. And you know what? The Lord makes that up to you. But I was always sitting there looking at that thing, thinking, that scoundrel, here in his time of need, I just said, sure, you're welcome to $1,000. Here, take it. Just pay me back soon as you get it. And he just turned me off. But you know something? God has taken care of my needs. That person to this day has never yet been able to be successful and get on his feet. 
He's gone into business twice with two different people, and in both cases, the people have loaded up their trucks and left the state and took everything with them, and he was left holding the bag, and he's having to pay those bills off. But I thought, you know, the Lord still keeps good books. He knows those that are not upright in their business dealings. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. Reward or bribes. A lot of times back in Old Testament times and even in the New Testament times there would be people who would pay somebody a bribe to go in and make a, be a false witness against an innocent person. Yeah, I saw him do thus and such. You know, they even had false witnesses against Jesus. Stand up, but every time they get up their stories would all conflict and so the judge says something's wrong here. There shouldn't be anything that anyone could give us to get us to say something that is not true against someone who's innocent. And if we do, we're not those that are going to dwell in the tabernacle of the Lord or in his holy hill. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. He that doeth what? The things that he just described. He doesn't backbite. He walks uprightly, works righteousness, speaks the truth, doesn't backbite or gossip. Uh, doesn't do evil to his neighbor or take up a reproach against his neighbor. His eyes, in his eyes, a vile person. He doesn't have anything to do with vile people. He condemns what they're doing. He honors them that fear the Lord. He uh, swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. Whatever he says he'll do, he'll do it. And he puts not his money to usury nor takes a reward against the innocent. You do those things, you'll never be moved. You'll be stable, steadfast. Know that God's blessings on your life. And you see, this has to do with interpersonal relationships in your business, in your daily walk, in your neighborhood, in your church, wherever you go. These are not suggestions, by the way. These are requirements. This is the lifestyle that should be experienced by every truly born-again believer. Now, it doesn't mean that you've already arrived and that you're perfect. It means that this is the standard that we're aiming toward. Paul the Apostle, at the end of his ministry, says, Not as though I have already arrived, but I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you something. I've been a Christian for 40 years now, and I'm still pressing toward the mark. I've still come so far short time and time again. But I know what God's Word says I'm to be aiming at. And may I just tell you something? If you aim at nothing, you'll usually hit it. You have to set a goal. That I want that in my life. I want that to be the, the victory in my life. I want these principles to be established in my life. And today I'm going to attempt it. Tomorrow I'm going to attempt it again. The next day I'm going to... That's the direction I'm going. And I've had people say, well, it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere spiritually. And when I look at them, I say, you know, the reason for that is that you're seeing your lows. But if you would actually be able to go back and see what I see, I see now that your lows today are higher than your highs used to be. They'd be down here and then up here and then down here and then up here and then down here and up here and down here and up here and then down here. And their down right now is up higher spiritually than it was last year at their high. And they are growing, but they get frustrated because they don't, they don't see themselves getting to where they want to get. They get a little bit weary and well-doing. They feel like, is it worth it? I want to assure you, every time we attempt to be what God wants us to be, His blessings are, will be upon us. He'll open and close doors for us. And he said, we'll not be moved, we'll be stable. And let me tell you, if your home and your life can be stabilized today, you are in the minority. 
This world right now is almost a nervous disaster. Why do you think people are driving up and down the freeway shooting people now? Why are all these arguments and murders taking place here even in the Orlando area? People are on the very edge on their nerves. I mean, the economy is down, and it seems like our socioeconomic system is falling apart, and they've lost faith in our justice system and everything else. We don't worry about those things. Our confidence is not in those things. Our confidence is in the Lord. And you'll find in the Old Testament, the prophet says, boy, all of society has gone to pot. In the New Testament, it said, boy, this whole area is totally wicked. But in the midst of it, the light shines the brightest in the darkest place. And if you and I will walk uprightly before the Lord and serve the Lord and keep our word and whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord, there's never going to be a need for you to, have to seek work. Companies will be seeking you out because they want that kind of quality person. I really believe if people will establish these principles, there won't be a recession for you. Because God will open other doors for you. He'll make a way where there is no way. And until you and I realize he's our source, we're going to have problems with nerves and worry and concern. But this is why when we learn this, the Bible says we can rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him, casting all our care on him because he cares for us. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, our prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, just make our request known to God. And then the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, when we operate by these principles that I just shared with you tonight, God hears and answers prayer. When we don't operate by these principles, our telephone line is cut. That's why I keep telling husbands, you know, you better treat your wife right because God says he doesn't. If you don't, he's going to cut off your, your phone service. You've got to treat them like... The Lord wants you to, and he'll cut off your, he won't even hear you pray. You might as well quit just waste, wasting time praying. He said, I won't hear you. God operates by principle, and he wants us to operate by high principle. And when we do, he says, if we'll honor him, he will honor us. And I don't know about anyone but you, but I want nothing more than to have the honor of God in my life. Because nothing can shut it down, and if God be for me, who can be against me?